welcome to the Her Voice podcast. I'm Dr. Somi Debade, CEO and founder of HerMD. We're a female forward wellness center committed to empowering women through comprehensive health, beauty, and wellness services. Today, we're talking about the rise of femtech, how this industry is a game changer for millions of women who suffer from sexual dysfunction. And I'm joined by Dr. Lindsay Harper, founder and CEO of Rosie Wellness. Tell me about your kids and what's happening in your world during summertime right now. Eh, so I have nine, seven, and four-year-olds, and the, the older two are girls. The youngest is a boy. We have a nanny, thank God. Um, she didn't come for like a month, and that's when we all wanted to just really give up hope for life. <laughs> but then when we got to have her back, everything's gotten better. And also since school's out, that helped too. Oh, my gosh. But so we're in Texas, you know, and it's not looking good here because nobody can get their stuff together. So the public schools are meeting today to decide. They said everyone's going back. But now that all like cases are just out of control, like there's no control of community spread. And so I'm just really nervous that it's going to get canceled again in the fall. At least if they start, I think it will still get canceled anyway. So I've got one of my kids old teachers. She's going to come tutor them just because homeschool was just taking up so much time. I can hear my son yelling like right this very second and it's just it's just stressful and he'll come in here and just like have a huge temper, temper tantrum and there's just not any boundaries I need some more boundaries in my life but it's all good uh, we'll make it because Comel and you are both uh, I think the nannies are more for the moms than they are for the kids honestly because she felt uh, like she was losing her mind too she's like I love Luca but I'm homeschooling and working and well, cooking and- yeah. And-, and they're all in air quotes because I'm not doing any of them well. Like I am the shittiest homeschool teacher you're ever going to see. <laughs> I, at that time I was working like half days. You can't run a company and work half days. Like that's not going to work out. You know what I mean? Like I just don't, I, that just wasn't working for me at all. I was so stressed. My husband also runs his own company and I, that was also making me mad that I was like taking the brunt of more stuff than he was. I'm like, well, your company's not more important than my company. You know what I mean? It's just causing a lot of strife. I totally understand what you're talking about. Cause my husband also owns his own company and yeah. I, I was like bearing the brunt of all the, Everything. Things, the emotional welfare of right. you know the children and then managing work and running around, I thought I was going to go crazy. And, Insane. Yeah. And I almost did. I definitely drink at least like three times as much now than I used to, <laughs> which is a problem. I would be on conference calls with Kamel for her MD and I would see her husband like pacing back and forth in the background, like on his own call, like in his own world. And we would be like, hello, her MD meeting going on. And then you'd see her face go like this. And I'm like, over the screen, I'm like, you need Botox right there and right there. So she was- you through the camera. Yes, let me inject you. She was talking (laughs) about wine and I was like, no, 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 no. Botox will be better and it's healthier. (laughs) Yeah. Now I I just do both. Yeah, you just exactly. do both. I love that. I love that answer. Pick. Botox and wine. Um, and wine. Why do we yes. pick? Not at the same fact, time, though. <laughs> well, I was going to say, in fact, my dermatologist does Botox and bubbles. And you come. Oh, and cute. I don't drink normally when I go because it's like 4.30 in the afternoon. But it's a walk-in situation. And that's good for people like me who I'm like never really want to commit. And so you can just go in and then she's just like cranking them through the door, all cash. And there just happens to be a couple of bottles of champagne, which I don't think even people touch. But anyway, it is a cute idea. So I like that MD. Idea. That, yeah, Botox and Bubbles. Botox and Bubbles. So we're going to get into it now. Okay, I want girl. you 
Yes, let's do this. I love your energy. Do this. <laughs> so tell me about your journey and what happened with you and how you got to being um, a regular board certified OBGYN to practicing sexual health care. Yeah. So really it all came about because of my experience with my patients. You know, I felt like I was doing a pretty good job with pregnancy management, with menopause. I love surgery, all of those things that in the way that we were trained to do in residency, but my patients kept coming to me with specific concerns about sexuality, particularly low desire, sometimes sexual pain or um, problems with orgasm. And I literally did not know where to start with these patients. I didn't have great resources to send them to. I didn't have great answers myself. And so I started asking around. Um, I asked my partners whom I love and respect. I asked big groups of women physicians on Facebook and really just started to understand that OBGYNs in general are in the same position where we hear about these, you know, issues from our patients a lot. 43% of women report a sexual problem or complaint, but because of the lack of training in medical school and in residency, we don't have the resources that we need to help these patients. And so because of that disconnect, oftentimes many OBGYNs feel very frustrated about sex medicine, sexual complaints, women who have these issues. And I just think that when, you know, if we were to talk about men and their sexual dysfunction, right, urologists spend half of their times treating men's sexual complaints. But we, on the women's side, there's not an analog for that, right? Most people I do think it's an OBGYN, but in fact, that's not true. So I, once I learned all these things, became, you know, really kind of mad about it and really motivated to try to do something about it. And so I went to my very first Ishwish meeting, I think it was in 2006. 17 or 18 even, and, you know, started to connect with people like you, with other people in the field, and just really started to develop a passion for this that I know so many of us have. And then once you start to open the door and ask women about, you know, sexual problems, you really start to understand what an opportunity it is to really deepen the physician-patient relationship because no one else is giving these women permission to talk about this stuff. So really just got really into it, became super passionate about it, and then decided to try to come up with a way to get these resources that women need, these evidence-based interventions for sexual problems out to women everywhere while also saving their, you know, general OBGYNs or other types of doctors time in the office. So trying to offer a solution to both patients and then also the healthcare providers that are taking care of those women. And that's really where Rosie was born. And I love that you said a couple of key things that are huge. I feel the same way, you know, I'm a board certified OBGYN, did not get the training in residency as well, you know, got it through Ishwish and NAMS. I'm a little bit older than you, been doing a little bit longer, <laughs> but we won't get into those numbers. But, you know, and then met people like you who are like-minded, who are truly disruptors and changing the field. And I love a couple of things that you said. I love the fact that you talk about how it empowers both the provider and the patient, because all of us truly went into this, right, to help patients and kind of got disenchanted along the way when you have this pap smear drive-through model of medicine, right, that women, they deserve better, we deserve better, right? I don't want to see, it, it almost becomes like speed dating, right, where you're seeing patients for like 10 minutes and they're in and out of your office and 
no one leaves that encounter better or improved or feeling satisfied. And the other thing that I love is evidence-based medicine, because what happened as these frustrated women were, you know, being turned away from their OBGYNs who didn't have adequate training, what were they doing? They were getting online, they were buying crappy products, they were going to these, you know, pop-up hormone shops, we all have seen them. And these offices that don't have adequately trained people who are charging women cash or they're frankly dangerous and it's not evidence-based. And I have no problems, you know, pushing progress and revolutionizing women's healthcare, but it has to be evidence-based. And so tell me what led you to find Rosie Wellness and tell me a little bit more about what you mean about evidence-based medicine. Absolutely. Yes. And you are speaking my language as always, whenever we talk that I totally agree that there's so much opportunity in those visits that we have with our patients that we're not taking advantage of both on our side, because we want to, we want to leave those patient interactions being fulfilled, but also on the patient side and totally agree with that. And when it comes to, you know, being evidence-based, I think that that's on the medical group as a whole, right? We all want to practice evidence-based medicine, but when we don't meet our patients like they, like they need, then they turn to other resources, just like you mentioned. And so it was my goal for Rosie to be one of those resources, but to do so in an evidence-based way, right? So if a patient needs help with a sexual complaint or problem, maybe she's too nervous to talk to her OBGYN because maybe her OBGYN didn't bring it up because only 17% of us do, right? But maybe she does do a quick search on the internet. And I would much rather her find a product like Rosie that is evidence-based rather than some, you know, other snake oil, for lack of a better term, that charges her money and not only doesn't help, but also may actually cause harm. And so really that's where this came from. And so when I, you know, became more educated about this, I'm like, oh, wow, there are things that we can do that improve sexual desire, that improve sexual function, that are, we have data to back them up. And so that's really how, um, you know, whenever I sort of conceptualized Rosie, which is a mobile app on your phone, we sort of picked the different components of Rosie based on those studies. And so we know from, from data in sexual medicine literature that just when you have an educational intervention with the patient, when you teach her about sexual response, when you teach her about sexual pleasure, that improves sexual function in and of itself. So we have a whole library of educational videos that are between one to three minutes in length where we just do a deep dive and it's all curated based on an onboarding questionnaire, which is based on standardized questionnaires that you and I use in the office, like the FSFI and the DSDS. And the content is curated based on those answers. So for example, a woman who is menopausal and having pain will get different um, content than a patient who is postpartum and depressed. And all of that content is curated based on her answers to those questions. Additionally, we know that by um, exposing our brain to sexual stimuli in the you know, responsive uh, model of desire, that we can improve desire just by doing that. And so we have a library of erotica, which is a super fun part of the app, right? It's very safe. Doctors have been recommending this quote unquote bibliotherapy for a long time in our field, but this gives them, this gives doctors a sort of very easy way to recommend it. And it gives 
users and women a very sort of nice and tidy way to, to only read the things they want to read about. They can choose their spice level. So it goes from like very tame, which we call one flame, like the notebook to very spicy or three flames, more like, you know, 50 shades. And we've got different genres. So for women who are new to erotica, they can choose one flame and monogamous and like keep it just very tightly curated. And then, you know, hopefully you develop a little more sense of adventure. If you come in that way, then you can start to expand your repertoire as you read through Rosie. So we love that part of the app. There's also classes where we, you know, take more time on a specific topic to really go in depth with a user with a specified expert in that area. So we partnered with people like Lori Mintz, who's a psychologist from the University of Florida, and she's done a ton of work on desire and on female pleasure. And she created four classes for us on those topics. We also just released a class um, about thriving um, sexually during and after cancer with an oncologist and a psychologist. And then we released one um, this month um, about sexual pain, where we partnered with a sexual and pelvic pain specialist. And she, you know, goes really in depth over the causes of pelvic pain, the things that women can do for pelvic pain, and then more resources, because we know it doesn't necessarily end with us. And that's okay. But we want to do everything we can to try to connect the women who need these resources to the resources that are available. So it's really exciting to really gather up that evidence-based information and present it in an approachable and digestible way to women who need it. I love that because, you know, I, you practice out in Texas and I'm in Ohio and, you know, it's a little bit more conservative here. So it's going to be a lot more well-received if I tell patients about Rosie and evidence-based and how it's more of a app versus telling them to just go to the hustler store or a porn site, you know, I may offend a lot of patients and I certainly don't want to do that, right? Because we're trying to make this conversation very open. We're trying to remove any judgments that women have or preconceived notions they have about their sexuality and make it as comfortable as possible. And so I love the fact that you've enabled this conversation for both physicians, but also have made it, like you said, more palatable, digestible for patients. And I can see a lot more of my patients, like we include all of Rosie's stuff in our sex med folders that we give to patients, talking to them about all of their options. And the other thing that I love, you and I are on the same page, we recognize that sexual health care is not just, you know, an app or not just one medication or not just, you know, going to the counselor or to the gynecologist or the pelvic floor physical therapist. It's a team approach. And I think that's what we've lost within the insurance model, unfortunately, in the United States is, you know, with these 10, 15 minute visits, how are you to coordinate this care? And I love the fact that you've given women and providers another tool to try to bridge that gap so that we can indeed deliver this multi-step approach that women require, uh, frankly, for their sexual health care. I do want to chime in because when you were describing it, well, how you described it also was so approachable. And I live on the East Coast. And like when I tell my friends what I'm doing in the industry I'm working for, they get so excited because he, even here, there's no, they feel like there's nowhere to go to discuss sexual health care concerns or like even have an, an app like this um, or access to information like this that's like catered to whatever they're going through in their life um, and what their comfort level is with it. So like, I'm excited to share this with my friends because they talk to me about it because of what I do, but we didn't have these conversations prior to me saying like, this is the industry I work in now, which is incredible. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I have found that to, to be true literally time and time again. And I'm sure y'all are in the same position, but whenever I talk about this socially, whenever I was fundraising, whenever, you know, I present about this anywhere, it's the exact same response every time, which is that people really want and actually probably need to talk about this stuff. And all they're looking for is permission or a safe sort of contained trusted place to do so. And that is true, not only in our offices when we're one-on-one with patients or now on telehealth, but also, you know, just in society in general. And I think there's a lot to be learned from that because when we enter this field, especially in a you know, consumer facing way, like I'm doing, there's a lot of, Oh, what are people going to think? How is this going to be received? You know, a lot of nervousness around just sort of the idea in general. And what I would encourage anyone who's listening who maybe is new to this field is that actually it's very positive. I have yet to have a negative interaction about this work because everybody realizes this is so important to who we are as humans. This can have a huge effect on our lives. And if we don't talk about it, the only thing that's going to happen is those things are going to compound and get worse and worse and worse. And there is just such a freeing moment that happens for women and partners whenever they have the permission and the space to talk about these things. Lindsay, you and I both know we're doing our job correctly if we do make people nervous. You cannot be a disruptor (laughs) in this field unless you're going to make, you know, providers and patients nervous. I mean, we're not going to change things. We're not going to trailblaze. You know, we're not going to revolutionize if we're going to follow all the rules. So on that note, tell me a little bit more about, you know, femtechs being thrown around. I've heard it a lot of lectures. A lot of our colleagues are using it. So for people who are not familiar with this, um, can you explain what femtech is? Yeah, femtech, you know, can actually mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but the most sort of generally accepted um, idea behind the term is it's something that's technology or product related that was developed specifically for women. And so, you know, it was originally coined by this um, innovator named Ida Ten, who is the founder of the Clue app. And so when she, you know, made Clue, it was more about menstrual tracking. And so I think that, you know, there's a there's sort of a narrower definition of femtech at the beginning of the of the term, and as we've moved forward, now we're, you know it's encompassing a lot of things. It's encompassing some life sciences developments. It's encompassing tech products like mine. It's encompassing hardware like Lioness, the vibrator you know that's connected to your app. It it encompasses a lot of things, um, and there actually is some controversy around the term. There's some people who actually hate the term femtech who would otherwise be considered femtech tech founders because they just think that it's so narrow and so cliche and so just, you know, unnecessary. Like, is there a category called men tech? Well, no. Why do we need one called femtech? And so, you know, where I fall on that is that we absolutely do need a label. We do need a name because in order to have a movement, it needs, it needs a, a moniker basically. And we need investors to focus on femtech. We need to be able to talk about femtech as a category to talk about how big it can be to promote investors, you know, to want to invest in it. We need femtech conferences. We need femtech as an umbrella to just like you and I, you know, want to do to really unite everybody in the field because we move faster together than if we're all kind of on our own islands, disparate, not able to share data or information. So I really am in the pro femtech group and thrilled to be a part of it for sure. So how do you think femtech is currently changing the gender gap as we know it? 
you know, I, would, I think traditionally at the very beginning, you know, you did see more companies behind making sort of femtech products or founders who didn't have necessarily the background necessary to make something specific for women. But the more, the longer that I've been in femtech, which is a year and a half now, the more female founders, you know, are in the space. And I think that both on the healthcare provider side and on the sort of patient or just, you know, women representing side, that that's so powerful because you can't speculate, you know, what someone else needs in their journey without going through it or without experiencing it in some way. And so I just love the rise of female founders within femtech, both on the healthcare provider side and, you know, just the women or the general population side, because I think that those are the people or the opportunities, you know, to truly uncover the hidden gems that have before now just totally been ignored. You know, recently, at least um, in history, women's sexuality has been viewed as, you know, the right of a, of a male partner, right? The female sex exists to please men or female sex exists to have babies. And I think that, you know, we're understanding that that's not the right way to look at things. That's not fair. If we want to have healthy sexual relationships, that that's not even, you know, we can't even consider that anymore. And so I think that those changes in perception and in women owning their own version of whatever their sexuality is, that that is what is, you know, making a real change in the space and will hopefully make a real change for women moving forward. I um, agree with you wholeheartedly on the perception of way, the way female sexual healthcare and sexuality has always been perceived. I think there's a lot of groundwork yet to be covered. And so I agree with you. I'm not anti-femtech. I think it does need to be given a label so that we can gather together under it and give people something to visualize and see. I was talking to a couple of colleagues and friends the other day, and we all agreed that we feel as though the sexual health care revolution has finally arrived. So why do you think Femtech is seeing such explosive growth right now? You know, I think that there's probably several reasons. I think that we owe a lot to, honestly, to Me Too, because I think it highlighted hey, there's a lot of experiences that women have that even just because you don't know about them doesn't mean they're not happening. Just because you are, it's not in your consciousness um, doesn't mean it's not serious. It's not affecting your life in some way because these women are carrying these things with them throughout their lives. And I think when that sort of snowball started to go, it gave other women, maybe not with, you know, sort of sexual trauma or sexual harassment history, but just with any sort of hidden sort of shameful, ideas or feelings, it gave us like a little opportunity to say, Hey, you know what? I've got this other thing that's been going on, or maybe this deserves attention too. And so I think there was a lot of power in that. And in this, you know, quote unquote, fourth wave of feminism, where we can really say, you know what, this is, this is not fair. The, the funding, the research, the attention, the advertising, the clinic availability, the product availability that goes into men's sexual health, that needs to be, you know, given the same needs to be given to women as well. And so in my bird's eye view of the situation, I think that probably socially, a lot of it had to do with that. I think on a more micro level that in as as an OBGYN, you know, we have our first woman president, right, of ACOG. So many of us who are graduating now are women. I think it's, you know, more than 75% of OBGYN resident graduates are women. And as we come into our own voices and we start to sort of 
realize that we have power in our field, that we have the opportunity to change things. We don't have to do things the way that we were taught. We don't have to do things that, you know, we don't have to repeat the same narratives of drink a glass of wine or go on vacation to our women patients whenever they need help with sexual dysfunction. And it's within our power to change that. Even if we weren't given the resources, we can find the resources and pass those on to the residents that we're now training. And so I think that there's a few sort of reasons specifically in our field that are lining up that are demanding change. We have had male advocates. I don't mean to say that we haven't, but I think the groundswell of support from, you know, women in the field is actually really helpful to, you know, push this forward to the next step. I mean, we outnumber men currently three to one as healthcare providers and workers, but as executives and decision makers, it's one in five. So out of five people, four of them making decisions about women's healthcare, women's bodies, women's medications, four out of five are men. And so we, what's been amazing to me through this journey and meeting you and meeting other CEOs are that women all have a story and they've been changed or they have personally experienced something with sexual health care. Either they had a friend or like you, they had patients or they had personally been impacted. And rather than being a passive participant and watching this narrative, they decided to invent an app, uh, invent a product, become a CEO or do something about it so that the decision making was back in our hands and back in female hands. Like you said, you touched upon, you know, it is a little bit different, our view and our narrative, because we do personally experience some of these things, whether it's childbirth and, you know, not wanting to have sex, whether it's sexual pain after an episiotomy, whatever it is, a lot of us ourselves, I mean, look at the numbers. You said 43% have been impacted by something like this. So you have decided to take the reins and become a female CEO of a femtech startup. And I want to know a couple things. I want to get into it. I want to know what challenges you faced because come on, you and I both know it's not always roses. (laughs) It's not always rosy. That's true. (laughs) I mean, I think that my biggest challenges are, are internal to be completely honest. I think that I, you know, did a lot of work and continue to do a lot of work on sort of trusting my voice on really owning my decisions on how to be a leader, maybe different from any other leader that I've been, you know, led by in the past and giving myself permission to try those things, to, to do things that are authentic to me. I think that takes, that took a while and still, I'm still working on that. I still understand that I have a lot of room for improvement every day. I think now at least I, feel internally that I can do those things. There were, there were a lot of times, right. Especially when I first started out and we're like talking about fundraising, it's like, I need to raise how much money, you know, like, can I just raise a, can I raise less money or, um, you know, just talking about project management, just all these, the words even that I never had known. My first reaction was, okay, I need an MBA, like stat, right? Like I like to be really prepared. I like to make A's on tests and you know, I don't like complications. Um, so that's my first instinct. But whenever you decide to do something new, a lot of times timing is everything, right? You got to, you got to hit the ground running. You don't have time to go collect all this information. And instead of the journey as it was in the past, with education first and then, you know, practice second, you kind of, whenever you start something new that, you know, the adage is you're putting the plane together while you're in the air. 
And that's how it feels a lot of the time, which makes me unsettled. But I've learned to sort of, you know, ease myself into that, to work through my own sort of self-imposed limitations and to really try to, you know, be the, the leader, the, you know, product developer and the physician that I, that is true to me. And I think that finding that voice and finding that confidence has probably been one of the biggest challenges in the past couple of years, but I feel like I'm getting there. It's a work in progress for sure. I think that's what differentiates the new leaders. My team will always tell you too. I'm very good at saying the things that I'm good at, but I'm also very humble if they come to me and say, hey, that's not going to work or we shouldn't do it that way. I'm very open to their guidance and the words that they have to say because I know we're all on the same mission. Mm -hmm. And I, like you, you know, we are, I don't have an MBA. We were trained, you know, as doctors and as surgeons. And so for me, it was scary you know, um, but it was also very exciting. I felt like I got to learn and develop a whole new skill set. So it was a lot of, like you said, learning on the job and learning how to lead in a different way, right? You're not leading in the operating room, you're leading right. a team. I equate entrepreneurship like being on a roller coaster, you know, it's the highest of highs, and then there are the yeah. lowest of lows, but then you're right back up that hill again. But someone's got to do it, right? Someone's got to do it. And honestly, it's so energizing. Like I, the energy and the passion that I have now compared to five years ago is so different. And I truly love like connecting with other people like you. I love being creative. I would have never called myself creative. And, you know, being an entrepreneur, that's, that's half your job is to like think creatively, like how can we solve this problem? And that's such a gift. You know, I never knew. I also didn't know that I loved public speaking, but I am obsessed. And so every opportunity that I can get, you know, to speak about these issues, which, you know, as you know, like leaves people in tears because no one's ever talked about it before is just so awesome. And had I not ever done this, I would never know those things about myself. And I'm so thankful, you know, really on a daily basis to get to figure that stuff out. No, and I'm very thankful that you're doing the work that you're doing and um, giving women a voice and giving providers an option. So I want to know what you think the future holds for Femtech. Yeah, I mean, I have big dreams, especially for Rosie. Really, my um, vision of the future for Femtech is that there is this gap between what women currently have, right, and what women need. And someone has to speak up for what that gap is, right? We have to highlight those inequities. And then we have to figure out how to get both sides, right? To kind of come to the middle and create something, not only that's good enough, but that is actually like wonderful, delightful experience. And so those are the gaps where I feel like we'll be filling in. And that's going to be in healthcare. That's going to be in sexuality. That's going to be in, you know, so many things, mothering, right? Like all these things that we go through uniquely that only we can sort of speak to and connect with other women about and create solutions for. I feel like that conversion will involve both humans and tech, right? I don't think that robots are going to overtake any of this work because there's so much empathy and sort of heart involved in it. But I also do think that we have such a huge opportunity now that none of no one's ever had before, which is to utilize technology to extend 
that empathy and compassion in new ways, right? And that's where the creativity lies, is how do we take that true heart of what we're doing and really make it widely available, scalable, but keep it really authentic. So I hope that those are the solutions that we'll be seeing in the future. And that's definitely what we're planning, you know, to keep trying to do for sure. Maybe that's why I want to keep working with you because I'm the same way. Like once they gave me a mic, I was like, I can speak everywhere. And I describe myself (laughs) and my team will tell you I'm the dreamer. I'm always like, I want 200 HerMD locations around the country. I want them in every state. And I want every woman to not have to drive, you know, thousands of miles to come see me. But you reminded me of a quote. And I think that's why you and I have connected. Surround yourself with the dreamers and the doers the believers and the thinkers, but most of all, surround yourself with those who see the greatness within you, even when you don't see it yourself. So, you know, the self-doubt that you and I had initially taking on this huge responsibility, I, I love that quote. I think it's, it's to live by, and it reminds me a lot of your personality and um, what you're doing. So thank you. That's the, the highest compliment. Oh. Thank you so much. And likewise, though, likewise, I mean, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. And, um, you know, she talks about getting in the arena. And the only way to really make, you know, a contribution or to have a voice is to be in the arena, to be taking risks, to, to do hard work. And clearly, that's what you're doing as well. And, you know, there is just so much work that needs to be done in this field. It's not as if we're you know, in something that's been worked on for millennia, and we're just kind of, you know, making improvements, we can blow the lid off of this, right? And that's really our opportunity and really our obligation. And so we all have to like link up arms and let's, let's do this together. So I'm thrilled, you know, that about the work that you're doing and the progress that we're that we're making. So tell us how listeners can sign up for Rosie. Absolutely. So you just go to the app store. We're on Apple or Android and just search Rosie. It's spelled R-O-S-Y and it should be the first one to pop up and you can download it for free. All the educational content is totally free. And then the library of erotica and the classes are $10 a month or $50 for six months. We also have a community where women can talk with one another, either using your name or anonymously, whatever you want to do. And then recently in Texas, we launched telehealth as well. So you can have access to a sex medicine provider or a sex therapist through the app. And then for healthcare providers, we offer healthcare providers the whole entire app for free. So you can check it out and see if that's something you want to recommend to your patients. And that's also on our website where you sign up for that, which is meetrosy.com. And we'd love to kind of connect with as many users and healthcare providers who are interested. And then how can we keep up with what you're doing and what Rosie's doing, any public speaking that you're doing? How can we check you out? Yeah. So my Instagram is at Lindsay Harper, but my name is spelled funny. L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y-H-A-R-P-E-R-M-D. And then Rosie's Instagram is at meet, M-E-E-T underscore Rosie, R-O-S-Y. And that's where we, you know, put a lot of our events. But also if you download the app, you'll get um, the latest updates about the product and all that good stuff too. So several, several ways, which we hope are convenient and fun. That's awesome. I'm going to tell you, I'm, I do not have the app, but after this, I'm downloading it. hundred <laughs> percent. And I do want to tell my girlfriends about it. I think it's pretty awesome. Thanks. I, I am looking forward to seeing everything that Rosie does 
seeing everything that Lindsay Harper does and seeing the things that her MD and Rosie can do together. Cause I know it, like you said, you and I, and those of us who work with us, we're going to blow the lid off of this thing together. Absolutely. I'm super pumped. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. I appreciate it. This episode of Her Voice has been a production of HerMD, a female forward wellness center in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can follow HerMD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerMDHealth and sign up for a newsletter at HerMDHealth.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope you'll share it with your friends. They can listen to us on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're a healthcare provider who is interested in opening a HerMD location, or if you already have your own practice and you'd like to be powered by HerMD, reach out to us at info at HerMDHealth.com. 